Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about devastating deals and matronly madness. I'm your host for the evening, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Blake Blizzard and Nick Carlson are voice talents Nick Goroff and Justine Anastasia. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our Theater of the Minds. And brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale this evening is written by Blake Blizzard and is performed by Nick Goroff. In it, we'll meet Peter Squid Billy a successful tech investor who has a late-night run-in with some kind of entity. An entity that knows him. It knows what he's missing. For someone that seemingly has everything but is empty inside, would you make a deal for happiness? And if so, what would you pay for it? Without further ado, I present to you 
Peter Squid Billy. My name is Peter Squid Billy. Odd name, I'll give you that. Even stranger, as that a grown man north of 40 goes by a nickname. I prefer it, honestly. I not only make my friends and family call me Squid, but I also instruct my 100 or so colleagues above and beneath to call me that as well. My real name is Peter William. I know. I'm one of those shifty people with two first names. You can't trust them, right? Also, if you have paid attention to the first sentence of this paragraph, you are furrowing your eyebrows, maybe even lifting one, and scratching behind your left ear in inquiry. I said my name is Peter Squid Billy. It turns out my real name is Peter William. You probably don't know many people with the last name Billy. To easily explain this one, I'll just say that I hated my first name growing up. I hated William. When I was about seven or eight, I learned that some grown-ups called William can be called Billy. What a revelation. Like most boys my age, I was also into Old West outlaws and came across the legendary American train robber and vigilante, Billy the Kid. What a combo at such an impressionable age. I started signing my name, Peter Billy. I introduced myself as such to my new class every school year, despite what was on the official roster. The name stuck to this day. Oh yes, the squid part. A unique name for a unique child. The short story is that when I was in third or fourth grade, I was playing with a black pen. I must have been trying to disassemble it like a Tommy gun or something, and the ink exploded all over my newly acquired Michigan Wolverine jersey I got for Christmas. It was a short-time college football phenom, Tim Biakabutka. He wore number 21. Doesn't sound like something too out of the ordinary for a child to wear but it was their away jersey, if I remember correctly. Which means it was white. The black ink plastered the front of my chest like a Jackson Pollock painting. Hey, you a squid or something? One of my classmates yelled. And that was all it took. I was mortified at the time, of course. I knew I had to embrace it to keep the hurt down. I've been known as Squid ever since. I couldn't imagine not being Squid now. I love it. I hardly answer when someone calls me Pete, or Billy, or Mr. William. I'm Squid. Fast forward to the present day. I spend most of my days and nights in my corner office on the 10th floor of the Peterson Group building. 10 floors of controlling people's financial future. We're not a well-known company, like a shopping site or the search engine we all depend on. We do, however, know how to make money for our clients. I can't go further than that just because it's too hard to explain. I will say that recently we got ahead of the pack in the crypto world. An idea that a few of us agreed on could be major. Could we have been more? 
correct. <laughs> oh, and we also bought one of the first NFTs around, boosting that scam into the stratosphere. Did I say scam? I meant investment. I'm the CTO of this company, the chief tech officer. Basically, I'm the second in command. It's just a fancy term for social media manager. The boy in the ink-stained Wolverine jersey was always ahead of the crowd when the internet surfaced. Not only did I get it, but I also dove straight in. I learned to code. I made my own websites. I dominated the early days of e-trading, which brings me here today, sitting in a nice leather chair, looking outside from over a hundred feet in the air. My life isn't great. It's not bad, either. I have no kids, no partner. I've dated and had a few serious relationships, but nothing committed. Things just didn't work in that department. I'm not one of those married-to-work guys. I just really do enjoy my job. I have a lot of freedom in that, which allows me to work whenever I want. A relationship can get in the way when I have an idea and need to flip my surface or laptop open. No one likes that when you're in the middle of watching a movie together. Sorry, I've rambled enough. I'm just excited to add this experience to my daily, monthly experience. It's a journal I've been keeping for a while. I read some billionaire keeps a journal of their best experiences to help them see in ink when they need reminding of what brought them to their success. I'm writing this with a real pen, a black pen. Hopefully it stays contained inside the hard plastic big container. Last night I was sitting at my desk, like most nights. I'm fortunate enough to have my bathroom, which is a plus. After finally deciding to power down my computers for the night, I decided to wash my face and piss in my bathroom. Not sure which order I performed that in. Either way, I shut the water off to the sink, flushed the toilet, and lost my vision. I was sitting in complete darkness. I could not see my hand in front of my face. I was not physically blind, thank the Lord. The power had gone out. I felt my way to the bathroom door, hoping that... I would at least see the exit sign that always had the power to it by way of some kind of emergency regulated generator. Nothing. The building has lost power before, but never for more than a few seconds. We are situated in a part of the U.S. that doesn't have threatening weather or temps that would affect our electricity. As I was standing as still as a statue, feeling like a real shithead, I saw something black dripping from one of the air ducts. Yes, I know. It was pitch black. I don't understand if the area I was looking at was illuminated, or the lights had come on without me realizing it, or what. I truly believe what I saw was blacker than the darkness I was covered in. Being scared does not begin to convey how terrified I was. As I was transfixed on the multiple strands of black goo coming from the vent above me, I heard a voice. More like a cough. A clearing of the throat, maybe. Nervously, I worked up the fortitude to say something. 
announced my presence. Hello, I said with a weak little voice. A ghostly moan responded, a dark and deep voice that bored inside my head. It felt like my eyes were going to shake outside of their sockets. Squid, I think it said. This couldn't be happening. I finally worked too much. I was seeing and hearing things due to overwhelming self-induced stress. After a moment, I bravely stood my mental ground. Who, who are you? What do you want? I put on my manliest front. No reply at first. Then after a few terrifying seconds, it responded. Hello, Peter. I attempted to reply to it, this time calmly. Look, I don't believe in ghosts or ghouls or ghasts. Who are you? What are you? I know it sounds strange, but I felt like it was thinking. I'm not here to scare you. I think you invited me. You can live out your MasterChef dream. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The lights came back on. Although not as bright as normal, I could at least see. The familiar office space was once again visible. I slowly made my way back to my leather chair. I cautiously sat down and attempted to regain my composure. I did not see the black sludge. I didn't see a person or any kind of entity. But I felt it. Okay. What is your name? I heard what I perceived as a human voice saying, Um... And then silence. This time, the entity spoke again, as clear as a summer day in the Bahamas. You can call me Jim. Jim? I said quizzically. Um... Yes. You can call me Jim. No one's asked my name before. I think I like Jim. For some reason, I was more relaxed now. Jim disarmed me with his joy at naming himself. Okay, Jim. What do you want? This was my first attempt at communicating with another world. 
a world I had no idea even existed. I'm here to help Pete. Or should I call you Squid? This thing knew my avatar, so that was an alarming start. It said that this spirit, demonic or not, knew exactly who I was. What do you want to help me with then, Jim? I was way outside of my comfort zone with this conversation. A few low clicking sounds, and then it spoke again. I know you were looking for more, even though you are a seemingly complete soul. You want more, but you don't know what. I looked around my office. A dozen awards for... nothing. Meaningless, cheap plastic statues were given to me for meaningless achievements. I can't even remember one of the occasions I've been acknowledged for. I still could not see anyone. As I said, though, I did feel it. Jim was with me in my office. It felt like he was sitting in his little invisible chair, knee-to-knee with me. At that moment, a faint, dark mist materialized around me. It took no form. The word ether was flashing in my brain. A low rumble indicated that Jim was about to speak again. Yes, I allowed you to see me for a brief moment, to show you that I do have somewhat of a physical form, which you humans appreciate. What's the phrase? Seeing is believing? I sat quietly. Right, on to business. I don't come to your realm often. Do you agree you are missing something, Squid? Of course, we all are, I said, feeling an immediate rush of sadness. You sit here surrounded by achievement. You are financially set forever, yet your dreams are all dead and buried. Do you know what happened to you? I felt something that has not happened to me in the better part of a decade. My lower lip started to move involuntarily. Vapors felt like they would escape from the corner of my eyes. Okay, okay. No need for that, Squid. I'll get to the end. Agree to let me in, and I guarantee you will find what you've been missing. I straightened up, loosened my tie, and leaned into where I imagined Jim would be. I'm in. The ether started swirling about me at a violent pace. My office now turned red. Say you agree, Jim said with much more bass in his voice this time. I stood now, kicking my chair to the ground in the process. I bet I looked silly. Jim had truly whipped his energy into a small tornado. It almost threw me face down on the floor. My attempt to bravely stand up to Jim turned out to make me look and feel weaker than ever. Say it, Squid. I agree. I was dropped on the floor of my office. I was in so much pain I didn't realize I was levitating from Jim's force. I grabbed my glasses, which were ripped off my face. I felt no more entity or ether in my office. Sensing this, I'm sure Jim appeared in front of me, an awful shadow version of a human. Two small white eyes were glowing where the head should be, 
He floated within six inches of my face. Three tendrils crept underneath my nose. Good. When I opened my eyes, I was in my bed. My bed, snug as a bug in a rug. It wasn't until after I brushed my teeth and opened the newspaper that I remembered what happened last night. Yes, I still read print. I laughed to myself. I think I need a vacation. I had some kind of mental break due to work stress. Hey Jim, are you watching me right now, you sicko? No response, as I anticipated. I think I'll take a walk to the corner store, get a little snack and a coffee. After I grabbed a grande mocha frap, I toured the candy aisle. I never make my way here. I've been on that keto kick for a while now. Today felt like a good day for a break. Ah, Reese's Cups. My childhood favorite. Take it. I spun around to see who the hell just spoke to me. The ghost. Still dealing with that adrenaline dump from last night. Oh, no, Squid. I'm here, and I'm very real. No, I muttered. Yep. I'll be with you for a time, old Petey boy. Take the candy. Take the candy and walk out the door. What, not pay? It's like a buck fifty. I'm not going to steal a Reese's, man. If you could feel a little demon in your mind smile, well... That would be a weird thing to feel. I did, though. For absolutely no reason, I stared at that peanut butter cup now like it would change the rest of my life. I reached for it, hesitated, and started again. Now I'm walking out of the store with an unpaid package of candy in my sweatshirt pocket. I've never stolen a thing in my life. I'm not a thief. It felt so... okay... It felt better than okay. I was on fire. If I had a health bar represented by little hearts like Zelda, let's say that three out of five hearts were gone. I know there's probably more in the game. I haven't played since I was like six, so don't blow me up, okay? Follow me on the analogy. I have five hearts. Two are gone. When I stole that candy, one entire heart filled back up. Do you get me? I am sitting at home now, staring at my looted prize. I just kind of smile. I don't know what I'm feeling, but I know that something has changed. Yes, child. You wanted to change, right? Oh shit, him again. That was just step one, Squid. I think you're going to enjoy this new life of yours. Full of purpose, full of excitement. Do as I say and I will not disappoint you. By the time Jim ended his mini-monologue, I had finished scarfing both peanut butter cups. It had been about six weeks since I became an adult kleptomaniac. I mean that sarcastically, of course. I have had no other urge to steal dollar candy, nor have I had Jim in my head pushing me to do so. Jim hasn't been here at all. I've come to accept it. I think it's for the best. Standing in the subway, waiting for the 115 to uptown, I feel a familiar power brush by me. I know what it is immediately. 
Hello, Jim, I say through gritted teeth. Oh, come on, old boy. Don't be like that. This is customary. I give you an idea of what I do, then let you go back to your reality. Rolling my eyes out of my head, I stood up to face my abandoned spirit friend. So, what will it be then, Jim? Maybe you want me to steal a newspaper or something? I could feel Jim's energy change. You see that guy over there? When he said that, I felt a subtle breeze move across my face, like a hand attempting to move my head in a certain direction. As I moved my gaze, I saw a person. It was just him and me down there. This time of day isn't that busy, but there are usually more than two people. Yeah, that's him. Hey, you want to push him onto the train tracks? What? Fuck you, man. Not a chance. I'm not a murderer. The man looked at me. I forget that I'm arguing with thin air with everyone else. As soon as he made eye contact with me, he quickly went to minding his own business. Jim seeped back into my brain. Maybe the train will be early. Maybe it'll be late. Maybe he'll make it off the tracks in time. You don't know, Squid. That's the fun of it. Haven't we been over this before? Push him. No. Do it. Or you will not be happy. I started to make my way over to the stranger. I attempted to be non-conspicuous, but kind of hard when there was no crowd. I stopped when I was about ten feet away. You do it, I said. I expected another cosmic response about how I was supposed to be fulfilled by acts of random badness. But instead, I heard only five words. I thought you'd never ask. Without a second to process, I saw the man get yanked off the platform to the tracks below. I could physically see his brown jacket go up behind his neck like someone was pulling it. And then, his arms and legs whipped behind his torso like he was being pushed in the back with major force. I watched the soon-to-be corpse scrounge to his hands and knees, eyes as wide as dinner plates. Don't help him. I was mid-stride and it stopped. He's right. This is all happening for some reason. A reason I cannot pretend to know. The man got to his feet. The familiar foghorn echoed through the steel and concrete tunnel. The massive headlight bent its fiery face. This only made the man more panicked. He met eyes with me. At that moment, I didn't feel sorrow or shame. I felt pity for a man who had no purpose in life. He should be there. He scrambled for the platform like his pants were full of ants. Ants in the pants. Let's go, Squid. Jim puffed in my ear. I was already on my way. Deciding to cancel my 115, I started walking up towards street level. Take one more look. As I did, I saw the man pull himself to safety. Sirens were sounding in the distance. Shit. I didn't think that the surveillance cameras were all over the place down there. Ah, no matter. I technically didn't do anything wrong. Can't charge me for not helping. I was afraid. The tracks were charged death traps. I didn't want to fall myself. Etc, etc. Sorry, it's been a while. 
It's been almost a year since I checked in with my journal. Jim and I have been besties. I don't want to go into everything. Maybe because I haven't been around. Not sure some of the things I've done should be repeated. Don't get me wrong, though. I've loved every second of it. Jim has let me do things as small as slap a little kid's hat off to as big as scamming some helpless grandma out of the little bit of life savings she had. Thanks for the subscription to Log Cabin Monthly. Jim was always right. I had a great life up to the point he met me, but I was missing something. Something I could not put my finger on. I think I'll enjoy a drink of my own creation. One part Jack Daniel's fire, one part Jim Bean Peach, and one part Butterscotch Schnapps. I call it the Sunday Fun Day. You can have it any day you like. Sip on one, then take a shower. There's no better way to end the day, in my opinion. As I wake the next day, I feel great. I throw on my favorite at-home loungewear, a gray champion sweatshirt and pants. I see the empty glass of Sunday fun day and smile. Should I keep the buzz going? No. Let's have a tall bottle of ice-cold water and wait for Jim to tell me what's next. Speak of the devil, and he shall appear. Ah, Jim, I say to the ether. What do you have for me today? The lights flicker for a few seconds. Nothing, squid. I laugh. Come on, man, I know you better than that. The mood lowers. We're done, squid. You've reached the end of the line. A little rose filled with panic starts to bubble in my guts. Okay, stop messing around. What are we getting into? I'm not playing around. An audible laugh bursts through my eardrums. I was never playing around, Peter. The sweat beads on my forehead. Actually, I'm sweating all over. The sweatshirt seems like an intended choice. The specter that I've called Jim appears in front of me. Sit. At once, I'm thrown down into my dining room chair. Another chair comes flying towards me, stopping inches away. The black mist in the form of a human sits down in front of me, staring at me, knees to knees, face to face. I'm leaving you, Peter. You will be slung back into the life you knew before. I'm sure he picked up on the confusion in my face. It was fun, but you deserve to go back to your life as a sad, no-purpose-having meatbag. I'm having trouble breathing. I... I don't understand. I did everything you asked. I did awful things for you. I thought this was what I was supposed to do. Another cackle escapes the shadow person in front of me. This was always going to happen. You were supposed to change, adapt, see how shitty of a person you were. Instead, you embraced it. I was only there to push you, hoping you'd go the way I wanted. And you did. Sorry, you were an insignificant pawn in this ethereal game. I tried to speak, but nothing was coming out. Think about it, Peter. The only thing you've hung on to your entire pathetic life is that stupid nickname. 
You never made a difference. You never helped anyone. You didn't hold doors open for anyone. You scammed people out of their hard-earned money. You sold them terrible investments. You even took a little off the top. Your boss has just found out the extent of your theft. Even worse, you regularly litter. My blood went cold. Sorry, Pete. I know this isn't how you thought this was going. I hoped it wouldn't go this way either, but here we are. It's been a pleasure, if that makes you feel any better. I always get high marks when my subjects don't bend. Best of luck to you. You're on your own again. I don't think you'll quite enjoy where it's going. Ta-ta. Wait, wait, I screamed. For the only time I saw Jim's face, well, would look like a face. It was mangled, glistening, and red. And like a campfire doused in water, it was gone. Silence. I wish the world would just explode. I had nothing to live for. I never considered this was a chance to change. I took the path far too traveled. This squid has been cooked. I hope you enjoyed Peter Squid Billy, as written by Blake Blizzard and voiced by Nick Goroff. Voice actor and 2016 Evil Idol champion Nick Goroff's talents can be found on our very own Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, as well as on past episodes of the Simply Scary podcast. You can also join Nick on his YouTube channel, Wizard of Cause. Our second tale of the evening is written by Nick Carlson and performed by Justine Anastasia. In it, we'll meet a mother and daughter out on a cold winter's night searching for owls. It's been a fruitless search for years, but maybe this time will be different. Maybe this time will be deadly. Now, without further ado, I present to you those wise eyes. Look out for their eyes, Mom. That's the first thing you'll see. Standing in the middle of a forest in the dead of a winter's night was usually not my preferred method to wind the day down. With the canopy of branches overhead, the only light came from our headlamps, illuminating the twisted, woody layer above in little white disks. Our vaporous breath rose up and phased through the beams like ascending spirits. With it being too cold for insects and most other animals, the forest was quiet and still. It had not even been perturbed by the signature cry of what we had hiked out to try and find. What color are their eyes? Mom asked. I don't know. They'll glow in our lights. You'll see them then. Mom spun in a slow circle, her headlamp scouring the branches. I resumed my search. All I saw were shadows and dull, fibrous hues of gray. I had no idea where Mom's fascination with owls came from. We always heard them back at home, barred owls we eventually learned, but as for seeing one? It didn't happen in my childhood years, and it certainly isn't happening now, now that I have my own place in the city. 
As for mom, her early bedtime habits didn't help her chances, and now, pushing 85 years old, her odds are literally slipping away. This is a wild place, mom said for the third time that night. They're here. They're just too smart for us. I grunted in response. Perhaps she had a point. Back at home, maybe the streetlights and occasional passing car kept the owls out of sight, confined to the woods on the fringes of our subdivision. But we weren't at home now. These woods were a part of Mount Kinnear in West Virginia, barely a hundred feet from the rental cabin we were vacationing at. It was only night two, but Mom had wanted to embark into the woods each time the sun went down to try and see an owl. I had only joined her out of necessity. She never wanted to admit it, but a slip and fall at her age would be disastrous. Or, God forbid, she got turned around and wandered aimlessly into the darkness. I shuddered against the cold. Spring hadn't quite sprung yet. We had initially planned to head out to the cabin in April, but circumstances had compelled us to reschedule for a little earlier. As a distraction, I presume. I made to readjust my headlamp. My fingers were solid and numb, the bridge of my nose stinging. We had to go in. If I was freezing, Mom was two steps away from an ice cube. Come on. We're heading in, I goaded. Mom shook her head. Where are you, owls? We can try again tomorrow night, I urged, gently grabbing her shoulder. Come on in, please. It's getting cold fast. Mom resisted me for a brief moment, but finally she turned and walked with me, forearm in my grasp, out of the forest and onto the cabin's back porch. The temperature change was like stepping into a basin of bathwater. I sighed with relief, rubbing my hands while Mom wandered upstairs to her room. You going to bed? I asked. I'm tired, was her reply. The door snapped shut behind her without another word. I retreated to the downstairs guest room, sinking onto my bed. This distant attitude was nothing new, especially in the wake of our recent loss. I had hoped that time away from the old house would be spiritually refreshing, an excuse to forget about our home life for a week and experience something new. How terribly my hopes would come to pass. My dreams were full of scratching mice and nails on chalkboards. When I woke up, it was still pitch black outside, yet the scratching continued. The timber was unmistakable. Something was outside my window. In a half-asleep daze, I shambled over to the window and drew the blinds up. I nearly screamed. The face pressed into the glass was pale, round, and yellow-eyed. Its expression was of penetrating severity, animalistic, but with conviction of an eerily human degree. It was only after taking a horrified step back that I realized what it was, and my fear melded into awestruck fascination. Even I knew what this was, having seen enough of the Harry Potter films. And even I knew that snowy owls weren't normally found this far south. Yet, here one was. Muscular and glossy white, gilded with mottled charcoal. Hunched and serene, it cocked its head, scratching the window with its wicked black talons. Holy shit, I whispered. I considered rushing to the other room and waking up Mom. I knew she wouldn't appreciate it, and rousing from early sleep was a trial at her age. But this was no ordinary barred owl. 
this was a once-in-a-lifetime chance to see something truly special. I took my chance and threw the door open, rushing for the stairs. But there was no need. Every downstairs light was on. Mom was awake and pacing the kitchen, dressed in her Sunday finest. I looked at the oven clock. 2.30 in the morning. The air was thick with perfume and shampoo. She really had made an effort to look her best for church. Fran, she scolded upon seeing me. Why aren't you dressed? Mass starts in an hour. Mom, I replied. It's a Wednesday morning. You attend the Sunday service. And wake your father, too, she fussed, resuming her pacing. I swear if I told him not to drink the night before at church once, I've told him a thousand times. I grimaced. My nightgown felt hot and itchy against my skin. Mom? Dad passed away last month, remember? She stopped. There was a confused scowl on her face. The various aromas were becoming nauseating. No, she muttered. He picked you up from school the other day. You had a basketball game. You won. You scored the winning goal. I buried my face in my palm. It was accelerating. Dad's death had only served to worsen it, and it coming around in full swing while on vacation was further proof of its grip on her. Mom, listen to me, I said slowly. I'm 53. I haven't lived at home for over 30 years. Right now, we're at Mount Kinnear on vacation. We were looking for owls earlier tonight, remember? We went into the woods. It was cold. I told you to look out for their eyes. Mom placed her hand on her cheek. It drifted to her sun hat, which she listlessly pulled off. She fumbled with the brim. Yes, that's right. Everybody's gone. Gone away, here and there. I stepped up to her, cradling her hands in mine. There's an owl outside my window, a snowy owl. Do you want to see it? Her skin felt dry and lukewarm to the touch, her bones like flimsy bits of straw. Okay, she muttered. I led her into my room. I shouldn't have been surprised to only find the void of night beyond the glass. My mom stared at the window in silence. There's nothing there, she said rather obviously. There was, I insisted. It's gone now. Maybe it'll come back later if we keep a lookout. I'm tired, said mom. She pulled her hand from my grasp and meandered back upstairs. I listened to her muffled footsteps, the subdued creak of bed springs. I could tell she hadn't even bothered to take her church clothes off. I slipped back into bed myself. It shocked me how quickly the vagrant owl had fled my mind, how it had been ousted by reality. I closed my eyes, heart heavy with regret. A whole army of snowy owls meant nothing next to mom's dementia. I'd seen and heard enough in my years to recognize that the end wasn't just approaching, it was in its final sprint. I tossed and turned that night, the rickety bed frame like talons tapping on glass. Mom was an early bird, so it was no surprise to wake up to the smell of burnt toast and the sounds of her labored chewing. It had snowed briefly sometime earlier that morning. All of the outside had been given a light powdered sugar dusting. I emerged from the guest bedroom, 
rubbing the sleep from my eyes. Good morning, Mom. I blinked, realizing she was still in her church clothes, marred with wrinkles and creases. You, uh, you want to think about changing out of those clothes? Mom swallowed her mouthful of crust, then looked down. Oh, oh goodness me. Did I really go to sleep in my Sunday finest? I shrugged and offered a sad smile. Yeah, I think you did. Was there a dinner party last night that got a bit too crazy? She joked. Something like that, I sighed. I whipped up some toast for you. I know you like it on the darker side. She motioned towards a paper towel on the other side of the table. Something that looked like a flattened charcoal briquette sat on top of it. Appreciate it, Mom, I said, deciding to just settle with coffee. With all the fresh snow, it'll be easier to see the owls, Mom suggested. They'll stand out against all this white. That's true, I said. Unless it were a snowy owl, I guess. I saw one last night, remember? Mom set her toast down, thinking. When we were out in the woods, why didn't you tell me? Never mind. I said, putting on the coffee pot. No toast for you then? Mom asked. Is it overdone? I'm sorry. I don't... I don't quite have my touch like I used to. Don't worry about it, Mom. I said, gripping the countertop. I waited there in silence, expecting an answer. But only the brittle crunch of toast followed. I took my steaming mug outside distracting myself with the newly christened woods. The snow continued to fall, no signs of abating. Despite the coffee, I found myself nodding off, thanks to the rhythmic pattering of snowflakes on the metal roof. Any other day, I'd have deemed myself content, cozy even. The night before, however, kept me rooted in wakeful wariness. Mom joined me a few minutes later, sitting down with her own cup of coffee. Thankfully, she had gotten into more comfortable clothes, isn't it beautiful? She said. Back in Wisconsin, your father and I loved when the first snow of the season came. Weren't any trees where we were, just flat rolling hills for miles. I couldn't believe all that white. He used to say it was like a blank canvas. The slate's been wiped clean, he'd tell me. What kind of painting will you make? Mom chuckled and glanced at me. <laughs> then you came along. You were the painting. The painting that changed everything. We moved down south. Things weren't as wide open and the snow never seemed to stick as well. She sighed, taking a doleful sip of coffee. I didn't know what to say. Mom's lucid moments, rare as they were these days, weren't always welcome. But all the snow in the world couldn't make up for you, she continued. Seeing you with all this snow just tells me how much things have changed and that there's a lot more to come. I smiled and made some casual remark in response. Mom knew she was old and did not fear death as far as I could tell. How much of it was awareness versus senility, however, was unclear. That day wouldn't be pretty. That much was clear.
To my complete lack of surprise, Mom wanted to head out and look for owls again. The snow had stopped by mid-afternoon, and the overcast skies had brought upon darkness even earlier than typical for the season. Yet the snow seemed to glow, merely negating the need for headlamps. Donning our boots, we crunched out into the frosted woods, eyes peeled for rounded shadows or fluttering wings. The rich contrast of dark wood on light snow was dazzling and disorienting, like a most beautiful hall of mirrors. It was even colder than the night before, but it was a pillowy, crystalline coldness like the snow it harbored. We arrived roughly around the same spot as last time, peering up and looking out for eyes. The silence was broken by random clumps of snow falling to the ground. It was strangely reassuring, like some benevolent force was reminding us that it wasn't all lonely and dead out there in the woods. I turned, aiming my light just above Mom's head, and I saw it. Two glowing yellow eyes set against a white rounded face nestled in a high branch. Mom, look! There it is! I whispered. In my excitement, my light dipped, and the snowy owl took off, its luminous wings stretching out nearly to my height. It soared over us, landing on the tree behind me. Turn around, I goaded, quick! Mom had barely processed what had happened. She was still staring at the spot my headlamp had been shining upon first. She pivoted awkwardly on the spot, looking at where I was pointing. It had taken flight again. Now it was to my immediate right. Where? Mom croaked. I don't see. This way, I said. I readjusted my beam to fix on the owl, now barely ten feet up the next tree. It only took a split second for my heart to sink into liquid panic. The owl's fiery eyes were wide, yet pointed into a fearsome glare. Its feathers flared like the hairs on a cat. Its wings torqued, its head dipped. With a metallic screech, it flung itself from the branch and pounced. It was the uncanny glint of its brandishing talons that finally forced me to act. I grabbed Mom's coat and yanked her towards me. She stumbled with a cry into my arms and the force carried me to the snowy ground. The owl brushed past, its wings like a feather duster made of fiberglass slashing at my face. Oh my god, what's going on? Mom cried, struggling in my grasp. Hold on, I gotta get you out of here, I urged, throwing my arm over her scalp. Follow me and keep your head down. We staggered through the trees, but just ahead the owl circled among the trunks like a ghostly jet, then launched its talons forward again with a scream, its wings forming a veritable wall in our path. Those black claws sank through my coat sleeve like butter and pierced my skin. The pain was blinding, like fish hooks scrubbing inside my flesh. Crying out, I swiped at it with my free arm, striking its flank. It hissed before taking off again, those startlingly huge wings stupefying me. It coasted upwards and vanished among the branches, leaving behind a flurry of feathers. Come on, let's go, I blurted. A breathless moment later, we had left the tree line, the safety of the house barely 30 feet off. As I herded Mom towards the back porch, I stole a look back. The night sky was a deep, starless gray, but the snowy owl was a blizzardy demon rising above the treetops, wings fully spread like a crusading angel. Even in the low light, I saw those amber eyes staring into me. Then it flapped its wings and dissipated into the clouds with an echoing screech. 
Go, 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 I muttered, my throat seizing up, helping her up the threshold and through the back door. A cold breeze smacked at the outside walls, rattling the entire cabin before I finally slammed the door shut. Holy shit, I gasped, locking the door. Mom, are, are you okay? She had collapsed into a chair, a hand over her heart, murmuring something under her breath. Talk to me, I pleaded, grabbing her hands. Please, talk to me. Get off, she snapped, wringing her wrists from my grip. I jumped backwards as if I'd been slapped. We gaped at each other in silence, heaving with sharp, labored breath. A tear finally broke through with me. Mom blinked. Oh, oh my dear, what's the matter? She rose to her feet and hobbled towards me, wrapping me in a hug. It's okay, Fred, it's okay. I'm fine, Mom, I said, my voice muffled against her neck. When she finally released me, I pulled off my jacket and examined my forearm. It was smeared red with blood, and before my eyes, five puncture wounds oozed pea-sized crimson blobs. Oh my goodness, Mom said, her hand on her heart again. Let me help you, sweetheart. She rummaged through her purse sitting on the counter and removed a scattered handful of band-aids. I let her go about her fussing. Her lashing out was still fresh in my mind. Anything to make her act motherly again like I was still her daughter. There, she finally said, applying what must have been the 20th band-aid over my wounds. They were already darkening with blood. How does that feel? The owl's talons still stung like mad, but I didn't let it show in my face. Better. Thanks, Mom. I hugged her again. That goddamn owl was crazy. Don't you use the Lord's name in vain, Mom scolded. Sorry, that owl was crazy. I don't know what had gotten into it. An owl did this? Mom gasped. Yes, out in the woods. That's why we ran, I prompted. I didn't even see it happen, she whispered, shaking her head. Dear me, what a night. It's been a rough night for both of us, I sighed. Do you want me to build a fire? I'm tired, said Mom. She then turned and headed upstairs without another word. I listened for her door to close, then ripped off the band-aids and ran my forearm under the faucet, rinsing my wounds with soap and water. I gritted my teeth against the searing needles. Of all the insanity that transpired tonight, there was only one useful takeaway. We weren't going to go out looking for owls anymore. I awoke to the sound of my mother dying. At least, that's what I thought, as I woke up as suddenly as if I'd been drenched in ice water. Help! Oh my god, help me! I flew upstairs and into her bedroom. Mom was coiled in her bedsheets, writhing like a beached fish, thrashing her head against the pillow. Please, help me! It's back! It's back! Oh god, no! I ran over to her side and shook her. Mom, it's a nightmare, wake up! Her bouts of night terrors were nothing new either, but forcing her out of them was always a heart-wrenching ordeal. It's Fran, Mom. There's nothing here. Don't let it take me, she cried. I had to stop myself from slapping her. Wake up now, I commanded, trying to wrench the sheets off of her. She suddenly shot up, fully alert. Where am I? Who are you? I don't know you. I'm your daughter, Fran. Remember? 
I shouted, unable to restrain my fears, my frustrations. Remember me! I have no daughter. My family's dead. She spat, curling away from me. They're all dead, and I'm next. It's coming for me. It's outside right now. Mom, I'm here, I cried, but my voice died as my eyes broke from her and darted over to the window. Its face was pressed into the glass, yellow eyes gleaming with hunger. I could see down its throat, florid and ravenous. I swear I could hear the snowy owl laugh. Get away, I roared, crossing over to the window and banging on the glass. It flapped those huge wings but remained rooted in place. I laid flat-handed blows on the panes right over it. The owl was unfazed. Stop it. I want to die, Mom wailed. Enough of this, I snapped. I left my floundering mother in the bedroom and stomped downstairs to the fireplace, grabbing the only weapon my frenzied mind could comprehend. Wasting no time, I barged outside, my adrenaline a force field of heat against the bitter, soggy cold. The snowy owl was still plastered over my mother's bedroom window. Her screams had taken on a muffled, haunting quality. Get out of here! I shouted, wielding the poker like a sword. The owl ignored me. Some snide voice cut through the panic, chiding me for assuming the owl would listen. Shut up, I told it back. It found us, didn't it? There's something weird about this bird. I took a breath, tensed my arm, drew back and launched the poker with all my strength. Leave her alone! The clang was like a church bell. Snow dislodged from the roof and nearby trees. The owl went still. For an incredulous instant, I thought I had actually made contact. I expected it to drop pitifully to the ground, its white coat broken and deepening with the red of death. It turned its head all the way around. Once more, I was met with those eyes. The air between us just folded, and suddenly it was on top of me. Spread out flat in the snow like a crime scene, the weapon gone from my hand, I could only stare in horror at the owl striding over me. It had grown. It was the size of a tiger now, its massive wings enveloping me in a feathery shroud. It stared right back, with eyes the size and color of lemons, those cavernous pupils swallowing me whole. The hiss billowing from its beak was an abyssal rattle like the mother of serpents. It squeezed my arms with its scaly feet, pinning me down. It lowered its neck. No! I managed to cry, but that scythe-like beak stabbed downward. I'd never been shot before, but I've read about what it's like. It's not just the pain of entry. It's your innards absorbing the force of the round and jostling loose, liquefying. You literally shatter from the inside. That's what it was like. Feeling that demonic owl dig through my breast and scrape against bone. The agony was excruciating. I knew I'd die. I just knew I'd die right there on that snowy night. There was the sickening crack of my ribs splintering and breaking under its strength. Burning blood poured down my sides as a million raining knives massacred my chest and my skull. Everything else was twisted and strained from screaming. It finally lifted its face from the hole in my body. Something was struggling in its beak. 
I thought it was alive, something malformed and premature. But each movement was disturbingly rhythmic. Two squirms, stillness. Two squirms, stillness. A pulse. A heartbeat. The realization brought only darkness. The owl took flight, my heart trailing blood and shredded sinews underneath it. I weakly reached out for it, my arm trembling as I tried to touch it, to reclaim what was stolen. Death came quickly. It was the best sleep I ever knew. Waking up in my bed the next morning shouldn't have surprised me as much as it did. It had all felt so real. I had truly experienced the pain of death, of animalistic mutilation. I felt cursed with forbidden knowledge, unworthy to be walking around and breathing, burdened with what I knew. Instinctively, I ran my hand down my forearm, grazing over the band-aids I had applied myself. That had definitely been real, the first attack. Maybe it was broody or territorial, I don't know. I didn't really care, to be honest. Mom's episode from the night before hit me next, and I sprung out of bed. But I heard the characteristic noises of her shuffling through the kitchen. She didn't sound injured or impeded in any way. I knew her well enough to tell. If that had been real, it had clearly de-escalated. I headed to the bathroom and gazed into the mirror. As if hypnotized, I pulled back my nightgown to reveal... Nothing. Unmarked, unblemished skin. Well... Maybe that wasn't entirely accurate, as age and time spared no one. But no indication that some beastly owl had ripped through my chest and bitten out my heart. Satisfied, I took to removing the band-aids. They unstuck rather painlessly, and I turned on the faucet to dab away any fresh blood. No blood. Not even any scabbing. I could see straight down the wounds inside my arm. I brushed my fingertips across the wounds. No pain. Scowling, I pressed a nail into the soft flesh. It elicited no sensation, no fresh stream of blood. I jabbed the skin on my other forearm. I felt nothing. I laid my palms on my face. I was cold, ice cold. Finally struck with a horrible thought, I pressed my finger to my neck. I waited, counting. My God, I whispered. No. Readjusting my gown, I rushed into the kitchen where Mom was picking at her burnt toast. Mom, quick, can you feel my heartbeat? It took her a while to set her breakfast down and look up. What? I don't feel my pulse, I said. I feel nothing. Mom cocked her head as she stared at me. And you are? I sighed. Fran... I'm Fran, your daughter. Mom looked away. I don't have a daughter. I took a deep breath. My name is Fran Wilcox. I was born to you, Marie Bernard Wilcox, on January 3rd, 1969. My father, your husband, was Dave Wilcox, who passed away January 14th of this year. Mom pushed away her toast. She then looked back at me. No, you're just another ghost. She ignored me as I rushed to the kitchen counter and drew a steak knife from the rack, slicing it across my palm. 
It cut through my flesh as easily as a slab of raw pork. I could see the flayed skin, the reddish layers underneath. No blood, no pain. I checked my pulse again. No, no, please God, no. I stormed outside. The snow was still on the ground. I could see perfectly where I had struggled. The discarded black poker sticking out of the ground and bizarre markings to the sides of my impressions, like giant wings taking off. I trembled at the knees, but not from the cold. In a traumatized haze, I wandered back inside, hand over my heart, or where it used to be. Mom was lolling in her chair, cringing away from me. You're letting in the cold, she growled. Try as you might, but I'm still here. You're not taking me like this. I'm not dead, I insisted. It shocked me how little of an emotional upheaval I'd mustered, trying to convince my ailing mother that her daughter wasn't some unknowable ghost should have been heartbreaking, but there was nothing there to break. Mom, listen to me. I'm your daughter. I'm still here. My heart's been stolen. I'm alone. She replied, shaking her head and looking around. I'm alone in this strange place. I have nothing to say to you. Now go away. Mom, I said, laying a hand on her shoulder. She turned in her chair and backhanded me in the face. Only the force alone sent me reeling. There was no stinging pain, no upwelling of sorrow, only coldness, a strange middling thread of anger. Mom got up and hobbled into the living room. Nobody loves me, she muttered. Everybody's gone. They left me because I'm old and useless and about to die. The anger consumed me. Then die, you miserable bitch! I fled into the snowy dawn, forcing tears that never came, screaming primal roars that failed to rip apart my throat. I cursed my mother. I cursed the snow that squelched and crunched unfeelingly below my bare feet. And most of all, I cursed the mysterious, hellish raptor that had doomed me to this absurd fate. Deep in the forest, laid before me in its wintry slumber, I waited for the owl. I dared it to come for me again, to steal something else that belonged to me that would have made me whole. Time passed. The bird didn't show. I must have spent hours in those woods waiting for the owl. I could have spent weeks, months even, haunting the forest and desiring retribution. I seemed to lack the hardware for impatience. Yet, when I finally drifted back to the cabin, not even two minutes had gone by. Time was cruel to something like me. I found my mother sitting in the living room, her rosary draped around one hand. She rocked in her chair, eyes closed, lips moist from nervous licking. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Ah, look at what the cold blew in. Mom glanced up from her rosary at my presence, her expression scrunched as if there were a bad smell in the air. You must think this is amusing. Here I am, trying to recall my sins for the last time. And you're hanging over my shoulder like a buzzard. She frowned. Hail Mary, full of... Oh, 
Blast it. She fumbled with the rosary, her fingers slipping down the decades. Hail Mary, full of grace. Hail Mary. Hail. Mom set her hands down in frustration. And now I can't finish my prayers. God has left me too. No one's left you, I whispered. I love you. I'm here. Mom cocked her head and grunted. Must have been the wind. How could the wind love anything? She stood and shambled away from me. It's cold in here. So cold. I watched her stumble about. I elicited no pity for her. Her own bitterness was infectious, filling the heartless hole in my body. Was this the owl's plan? Cursing me into watching my mother break down before me, unable to muster even the tiniest emotional response. I don't know why this is happening, I tried saying. Mom gave no inclination that she was listening. I didn't ask for this, though. I loved you, and you loved me back, back when I had my heart. If you can take one thing away from all this, it's that you matter. You matter a whole lot to a whole lot of people. People who are here and who aren't here. You can't live so long without mattering to people, Mom. Listen to me. I'm calling you Mom. That matters. Please. Please understand. Mom lowered herself into another chair. The rosary dangled from her finger, quivering like a leaf. So cold. She muttered, You sound so cold, miserable. I don't believe you. Whatever you are, you've died twice, and I refuse to be like you. My palms itched, thinking about grabbing and shaking her until the dusty filling spilled out of her hateful pores. I turned away, eyes closed, racking my mind for a response. So, I finally said, what can I do to make you believe me? Mom shook her head. Leave me alone. No, I said. I won't leave you like this. Mom pursed her lips. She went very still. The rosary dangled by a single bead from her fingertip. Hunting down the owl was out of the question. Getting through to my mother was impossible, especially with my current predicament. It was true. I had no love to offer. I was an empty vessel spewing empty words. But I had time. All the time and patience in the world to play out this newly assigned role. A shade, a haunting presence opposite of her, to whom time had become meaningless as well. I sat across from Mom, gazing deeply. I watched the shadows creep across the room as the hours ticked by. As the light became golden, and finally faded away as night infected the cabin. Her lightly colored clothes rendered her an opaque ghost in the gloom. And through all that time, I stewed in deathly thought. Looking at my mother, all I sensed was static. Rapidly moving parts, the vague suggestion of images. She had been forgetting things for a few years now, but now it seemed she couldn't remember how to live, how to be, she was just drifting through the motions, a tumbleweed through a barren plain. Looking at my mother, staring her in the face for hours, I saw the ravages of her condition. 
She had completely forgotten about her family, her home, her place in the world. All the bonds she once held splintered and dissipated into sawdust. At some point in the night, even the rosary slipped from her fingers and coiled in a knotted heap on the floor. I regarded it. Barely a few seconds earlier, it had been a source of comfort for her. It had once belonged to her mother, a medium between woman and God. Now discarded plastic and metal splayed across the carpet. It's worse than death, I realized, living some fuzzy, vegetative half-life, reduced to mere smidgens of your reptilian brain, held together by your failing carnal husk. All the memories forged, all the love made and lost, collapsing columns of ash long behind you. Is this what I'd been overlooking? I wondered. She was suffering, or on the cusp of it. In my cursed state, forced to look at her, it was easy for me to see just how readily dementia could muddy one's spirit. Given a few more years, I realized, I wouldn't even need to have my heart stolen for her to see me this way. Maybe this isn't a curse, I thought. Whatever you are, you've died twice. Her voice in my mind hissed. Where had I heard those words before? It hit me, an old maxim. They say you die twice, once when you stop breathing and once when your name is uttered for the last time. That's what it was. Her family, the world. It wasn't just dead to my mother at this point. It was twice dead. I turned to look out the window. Snow was falling again. The owl was out there somewhere, even if it refused to show itself. It was biding its time, waiting, watchful and knowing with those wise eyes. I stood up. I understand now. Do what you need to do. I won't interfere. Mom raised her head. Her bony hands gripped the armrests. Then she rose. She began to walk towards the back porch. I'm tired, she said. She was still slow and unwieldy, but there was a determination this time. Focus. Drive. She pulled the door open and stepped out into the blistering night. I trailed her, not making a sound. I had to see it through myself. I couldn't feel the cold, but somehow I doubted she could either. Mom stopped at the edge of the black forest, obscured by the buffeting snowflakes. The only sign of life was the brief mist of her breath, catching and fading in the wind. She waited. I waited. I'm ready. I'm ready now, I declared. We both are. There were two things about owls that would come to strike me as fascinating. First, the fact that their wings and body shapes are especially designed to flight in nearly complete silence. A most wonderful adaptation for a stealthy night hunter. Second, despite their status as cultural icons all around the world, they always stand for something different depending on where you are. Misfortune, mischief, death, good luck, wisdom. They're captivating in that sense. They catch the eye and make you stop and quiet down and ponder. You walk away a different person after seeing an owl. Regardless, I think they stand for one thing no matter who you ask. Change. I saw the snowy owl emerge from the trees, its broad ivory wings like iridescent paddles of light, as it soared down and landed on my mother's shoulders. Soundless, graceful. It hurt to watch. 
I realized that with a shock. It was beginning to hurt in my chest. My neck ticked with a pulse. My palms stung. I could feel droplets of fresh blood blooming on the wound. When it took off, I had to blink. It could have been the snowstorm forming patterns. It truly looked like there was a woman in the owl's talons. She was old, peaceful and lucid, fully aware and willing of what was coming. The owl melted back into the trees. The figure it was carrying disappeared with it. Back on the ground, my mother collapsed. I rushed towards her, frigid tears on my face, my heart newly heavy and freshly crushed. The snow was cold on my feet. She was warm in my arms. I carried her back inside. Her expression was calm. She might have been asleep, dreaming of the memories she'd lost in life. I laid her on my bed. I cried long past the sunrise. Dealing with death is difficult as it is. It's messy. It's painful. It stabs you when you least expect it, sending fresh agony through your body. Few things are worse, but those few things are all too real. I saw it for myself, and I could see, looking into her face, that she had passed on knowing that she mattered, and she was loved, especially by her daughter Fran. I hope you enjoyed Those Wise Eyes, as written by Nick Carlson and performed by Justine Anastasia. Nick Carlson's work and author profile can be found by visiting www.creepypastastories.com under the name Carlson. That's C-A-R-L-S-O-N. There you can find his website, Amazon page, Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit, all of which feature his amazing talents. And as a reminder, Justine Anastasia's work is available right here on our official YouTube channel. She also has written for the program as well as being one of the judges for the 2019 Evil Idol voice acting competition. Now, our weekly Descent into the Depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. <laughs>
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.